Yes, it is time for another exciting edition of the Athletic Denver Podcast. I am your host, Nate Kreckman. Listen to me weekday afternoons on Altitude Sports Radio 92.5 FM. I am the host of Kreckman and Company from 2 to 6 in the afternoon, and I am frequently joined on the radio as I am joined on the Athletic Denver Podcast right now by Rockies and Major League Baseball writer Nick Groke of the Athletic Denver, who is freshly back from Scottsdale, Arizona, and you don't appear to have any suntan whatsoever. No, I I, I ran back to Denver real fast to warm up. It's been it's been crappy. The Arizona. weather has been miserable in Arizona. I had to scrape ice off my car windows a couple of times. It, it was that it was bad. Weird. It was weird, yeah. And then, um, yeah, and then, uh, t- and then, at first, I mean, we kept asking Bud Black about it. Like, is this is the rain screwing you up? And he's like, Nah, 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 not really. I mean, yeah. we can get our work done. Eventually, he's like, Yeah, it's screwing us up. It was like crappy weather. Nobody. It's it's been a weird spring training. Normally, like it's like uh, I don't know if I actually gain a whole ton of knowledge, but I like watch pretending like I'm like gaining knowledge watching infield practice sure. and stuff. You can see some cool stuff sometimes. You can you can look you can notice like a player who really stands out. Uh, I haven't been able to do that. You know who I saw the other day? I don't know. I there's a there's a dude who hangs out. I wrote about him once. Uh, his name is Angelo. Yeah. Uh, a dude who uh, lives on the streets in Scottsdale. Yes, you wrote about him in the Denver Post. Yeah, I finally saw I finally saw Angelo a couple of days ago. Okay. Uh, so that was like the real arrival of spring training. That finally, I was like, finally, we can all get outside and I can talk to Angelo. Yeah. Because uh, Angelo was uh, trying to get, I think it was Ryan Castellani, to raise his elbow a little bit. Just a little bit. He's a huge Rockies fan. Charlie Blackman is very friendly with him, if I recall. Uh, Tyler Chatwood was real friendly with with Angelo too. Uh-huh. Um, and there there have been there, there are some funny interactions with Angelo over the years uh, with like coaches and players. Like uh, Renee Lashman used to like get in screaming matches with Angelo, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but to the point where it was like you know, you know, Angelo would be like, "Man, they really you know you really gotta." You really gotta shorten your stride on the swing, and <laughs> Lash- breaking down swing mechanics. Yeah, no, exactly. Because he's hanging. He's because you can just go right up to the fence at spring training. It's yeah. awesome. And uh, Latch would get in his like, "Damn it, Angelo, shut up!" <laughs> <laughs> and they'd go back and forth. And it, but then eventually, he, you know, Latch would be like, "Angelo, I'm sick and tired." No, wait, you're right. <laughs> I'll tell him you're right. But uh. So yeah, no. The interactions there've been it's been a little bit minimal in that way in spring training so far, but it's because the weather has just been so damn cold. But it's kicking up a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Um what did you take out of observing new body types? Because <laughs> there's always the guy that bulked up and then there's the guy that's lost a bunch of weight. Like Nolan is apparently slimmed down of what I'm what I'm seeing, but John Gray is bulked back up after he lost a substantial amount of weight last year. Yeah, John Gray was legitimately bulked up. Yeah. Um, I think he just ate a ton and worked out a lot. Okay. Uh, I think and he want I think he wanted do it. Yeah, I mean I, I don't think it was necessarily something that um he was doing to to become a better pitcher necessarily. He just wanted I think it's a, like a big confidence thing. He's wearing it like armor, I think. Okay. Right now, if that makes sense. Yes. Um and and he did lose a bunch of weight at the end of the last season, which is which is a slightly alarming. I think he's stressed out. Yeah, I think he got stressed out. I mean, it happens to me too. No, to he honest. looked thin. He looked insanely thin. You could see the contours of his chin underneath his yeah. beard. He did not look like himself by the end of the year. No, right, exactly. So he 
gained back. He's he's even up over his normal walk around weight. Yeah, it's a boxing term. I like that term. What's your walk around weight? <laughs> <laughs> as if as if that's different than like any other way. Uh, but he's he's up he's up like maybe twenty five pounds over his walk around weight, which okay. is pretty significant. So he, I bet he gained more than that after after he lost weight last season. But sure, um, you know he rides a skateboard. That's kind of cool. I did not know that about he, John Gray. He and I asked him like what you know what board does he ride? Yeah, uh, as if I. I mean, it's been a while since I regularly hey, rode Powell a Peralta, <laughs> a Santa Cruz. Yeah, at one point he had Tony Hawk. World Industries. Um, but he couldn't. Re- he couldn't remember what board he has. At the, at Is the it board. a long board or more of a freestyle type of See, board? See, I, I I would have pegged John Gray as a long boarder. Yes, but no, not okay. Um, but he he uh he rides that around. He rides that around town in Denver. He lives in Denver. The um. You know, a side note, real fast. Yes. Uh, you know, scooters, the electric scooters that are around town, <laughs> around Denver. I've seen them. Yes. Uh, players, uh, visiting players, love riding those things. Really? To the ballpark, because they're like you're most places that they stay, hotels that they stay, are like downtown or whatever. So you can get, you can walk or t- you know, a lot of teams stay at the Westin, don't they? I feel like baseball, the Westin is a popular baseball destination. I've heard Bo- Bruce Bochy. Bruce Boshi told me once that the, his favorite hotel in all of baseball is the Four Seasons in Denver because they have the best blackout windows. Oh, okay. And if you're if you're a baseball player or manager or whatever, like that's pretty valuable. I know exactly what he's talking about. Like you do not want to be waking up at eight a.m. because you just you left the ballpark probably like at he probably left the ballpark at like one a.m. Plus they're all keyed up and everything. It's hard to get to sleep. Right. Yeah. So like if you can black out the sun until ten or whatever, like that's pretty valuable. Yeah. But anyway, so a lot of the players will ride scooters uh-huh. to uh, the ballpark. Okay. And I've asked a couple of them because I've seen, and they're like, "Yeah, no, I'm not talking to you about this. It's against my contract." <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell anybody I'm riding a scooter. You're just you're hoping some guy's gonna bum garner himself on a scooter. I think the teams are probably afraid of that. Yeah. Um. And then also, but also, uh, I've also seen those. Have you ever ridden one of those? No. So I've also seen them in the clubhouses at Coors Field. Okay. And I'm like, dudes, I think you're missing the point here. <laughs> you don't just keep it. <laughs> you don't just like pay the money and then keep it. Yeah. You gotta put it back out. You you park it on the street. And somebody else gets it. That's the point of them. Yeah. Hello. But they're breaking the rules. But that that way they make sure they have a scooter as soon as the game is over. I mean, I, the clock's running. <laughs> I mean, if you want to pay for it, sure, I guess. But whatever. But also, it seems you wouldn't. I don't think you'd want to take that back to your hotel after the game, like bobbing and weaving through the Lodo drunks oh, it's, it's as you exit yeah. Coors Field. No, no. No, you don't want anything to do with that at no. night. No, no. I, oh, I can see that headline. Yeah, no, that, that could be ugly. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a brawl waiting to happen. Yes, with a baseball player in the middle. That's a TMZ story right there. Yeah, no, you want nothing to do with that. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I don't know. They're probably wiser than. Is John Gray w- with his contract? Is he allowed to be riding a skateboard? I don't know. <laughs> he's he's not afraid to say he's not afraid to talk about it. So maybe not. Okay, know. well that's that's very cool. I mean, I I think like standard Denver contracts, d- despite the sport, whatever yeah. sport it is, I think there's like no snowmobiles, no skiing, no skiing, no snowboarding. Sure, maybe they're not hip enough to include skateboards normally. Patrick Mahomes is not supposed to be playing basketball. I know yeah, that. The, right. the Chiefs were upset about that. Did you watch that video by the way? No, he's got game. Oh really? He is. Good. He is buttery smooth. That's that's uh, very unsurprising, to be honest. Right. I I I think Patrick Mahomes is one of those guys. You know, given obviously his his dad and um, his past with baseball, 
dude could have been a first round pick in any sport he wanted to play. And Latroy Hawkins, I mean, uh, he ha- he probably had to say this because he's what his god. But good good pedigree there, yeah. Um, Latroy Hawkins was talking about that dude like eight years ago, right? So yeah, I mean, so yeah, people probably knew. Mm-hmm. I mean, he knew. Latroy yeah. knew. Yeah, he's pretty good. Um, is John Gray going to be the Rockies' third starter? Uh, right now I have him fourth, but I don't know. Uh, Tyler Anderson three. I think so because yeah. Tyler Anderson. I mean, he pitched game one of the NLDS. Like he did, and uh, John Gray wasn't on the roster. Wasn't even on the roster. Yeah. I mean, do we need to know more than that? No. I mean, I you can maybe maybe some stuff happens in spring training. Maybe maybe he looks exceptionally awesome or something. I don't right. know. Right. Um. But he's he's most certainly been leapfrogged by Kyle Freeland and Herman Marquez. Definitely. Uh, Tyler Anderson is is more a sort of in touch with. <laughs> with a game i think then. is it just done is it right now if everybody is healthy freeland and marquez flip-flop them however you want anderson gray and then i would assume antonio Senzatella, and there you go that's your rotation chad bettis off to the bullpen jeff hoffman who knows that's here's could i be in for any surprises there uh i have it slightly different than you Okay. I think it's I think it's well uh, the only thing that's thrown me off about number 1 right now is that the current the current rotation in spring has Kyle Freeland a day ahead of Herman Marquez. Okay. But it's it's not even March yet. So uh, and that there's there are day, days off coming up that they can play with and right. But I to me I, I mean I think Herman Marquez is number 1. Okay. Freeland number 2. Uh but that's that's completely ignoring matchups, you know, cuz they they start in they play seven games on the road before they play a home game. Yeah. Um, four in Miami and three in Tampa Bay. Is it three or two? Three. If I don't, I don't know. It's a ways off. But anyway, so there might be matchups that they're trying to play with. But anyway, I still think – I think it's like Marquez, Freeland, Anderson, Gray. I have Bettis number five. Do you? Uh, I I thought coming into spring training that it would be Sensatella, but just sort of like taking the pulse and talking to some people. Um, people the, the sort of the – the idea around Chad Bettis is that they think they have Chad Bettis from April of last year when he was awesome. He was their best pitcher. He's one of the best pitchers in the National League through like six weeks. He if was I remember right, and then he got the bliss. He started getting blisters, ah blister, ah recurring blister, mm-hmm. and uh, and they think that that's really what set him back. Uh, he de- he definitely doesn't have the raw the raw stuff. He doesn't. He's not as powerful a pitcher as Antonio Sensatella, um, but he. He's much sm- he's he's because of his experience. He's much smarter on the mound at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, I thought I, I thought Sensatella would. I mean, it, all he needs is like a half decent third pitch, and he he's on his way. Yeah, because he he's a two pitch pitcher right now, uh, or he was last season. Um, but I, there are a couple of other issues. Chad Bettis doesn't have options, so he'd have to go to the bullpen. Sensatella might be okay in the bullpen. I think what will happen, and this is a very early projection, but I think Bettis is your number five, and Sensatella goes to the minors. But, but uh, there's room to maneuver there. I think okay. there, well, spring will shake that out. Okay, you wrote about John Gray for today about his uh, attempt to bounce back. He says he wants to be a rubber band. What does he mean by that? Uh, he he meant his body. Okay. Uh, it's one of those things where like, should I? Ask him what he means, or should I just let it fly? <laughs> I kind of asked him what he meant. Uh, he explained it. I mean, he he wants to he wants to be able to. Um, he just wants to be stronger and able to like withstand things, right? Uh, withstand the pressures of things uh, physically. Uh, I think is what he meant by rubber band. The 
I think more more curiously about the 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 conversations I've had with John Gray so far this spring, uh, and Bud Black, they he Bud Black has kind of tried to stay out of his space a little bit. They have not talked a whole lot. Okay. Um, I think he's trying to sort of just let John Gray kind of be John Gray and get into it and work himself back up. Now, a couple of the discussions that they've had in private that they neither of them would elaborate on fully. Uh, involved, as Bud Black put it, things that John Gray has addressed about himself on a personal level, uh, and then he shared those things with Bud Black. Now, I think the I think that that's just kind of his 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 emotional approach to the game. I think is what I, is what I'm guessing that means. Okay, I, because soon after John, John Gray then explained that, like you know, he I think the way he put it. Uh, you you might have the story in front of you that there's a that there's a lot of pain and anger in the world, and sometimes that that is put onto you. I think is basically how he said it. Um, and I I th- I think that he he was just kind of feeling a lot of those things last year. Uh, basically, kind of the pressures of being the pressures of being a, f- a former first round draft pick, not a former. He's a first round draft pick. He said, "quote I felt like a lot of people blamed me for a lot of things that happened the last couple of years. I can't get mad about that. It ain't my problem if someone else is upset about something like this. I'm just doing the best I can." Close quote. Yeah, which is not which. Uh, I don't think anybody was really blaming him for anything uh, except. When he had bad games, he had bad games because he had bad games. Like I don't, I don't. There's not a lot of blame there. Like I, I don't, you know, if you know the the key game for John Gray, the one that he most have to, he most to me has to sort of erase. And uh, you know, some people still draw on the wild card loss at Arizona two years ago in 2017. Definitely, um, the one that he has to erase now to me. Because if you remember, we went into 2018 like John Gray's got to bounce back from that. Right. Like let's see what happens. Right. Uh, in the opener, he kind of didn't. Uh, when they opened in in Arizona, uh, to me he has to bounce back from his last start. His last start was a disaster, and it it kind of cost them the division. Yeah, the game against the Nationals. They 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 were in first place in the National League West. They were playing the, a Nationals team that had given up on the season. He lasted two innings. He gave up what he gave up five runs on seven hits in two innings, and they got blown out. And then it forced it eventually forced them into a tiebreaker against the Dodgers in L.A. That the Dodgers won. That they lost, right? So. Uh, I mean, he he really has to bounce back from that now. Like, I don't I don't think it's unfair. I don't think there's a lot of like undue, un any undue blame kind of like going his way. Like he pitched, he didn't pitch very well. He I mean, he said so. He's he's not. It's not like he's not admitting it. Uh, he knows that he didn't. So he you know. But I think I think at times talking to him after some games that go bad and there was a game that he pitched later in the late in the season in LA that was not good either. Only lasted 2 innings, gave up 6 earned on September 17th. Yeah, that one was not good and you and after that game if I remember correctly, uh I th- I think the the he was he was about to get skipped. His spot was about to get skipped the next time around. If I remember right. Was it what are his days rest? Are you, are you looking at that? He rested for seven days, and then yeah. he pitched against the Phillies, and he was great that And he day. was great, yeah. So he got he was skipped the next time around. I think they used Senzatella maybe. Okay. Um, they told him that night that that's what was going to happen. He got chewed out that night um, because the next day he looked like a zombie. Mm-hmm. He was sort of wandering the halls, uh, very despondent, um, because he puts a lot of pressure on himself, and I think it like kind of caught up. Um, and so – 
you know, I think the pain, the pain and the anger in the world, if he's letting the world get in on him, like, yeah, he, I think if that's what he dealt with in the off season, then that's probably a good idea. But all, but to be honest, like a lot of it is just normal, like baseball pressures that like, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not saying I could handle it, but like when you pitch a bad game, like they're, a, when you pitch a bad crucial game yeah, or two bad crucial games, yeah. Like there are consequences. He is a guy that I I don't remember ever seeing a Rockies pitcher that had higher expectations placed upon them than John Gray. And and a, a lot of the times he was living up to it. The 16 strikeout game in 2016 against the Padres. That it it seemed to be there was a confirmation bias of everybody of okay, this guy is as great as we think he is going to be. Uh, in 2017, he had a phenomenal run of starts, of stringing together quality starts and of being dominant. Yeah. And then they got to the wild card game against Arizona, and he got shelled that day, and he looked like a deer in headlights. And then last year, he just he never quite found it. He kept just running into having a disastrous inning. It was absolutely killing him last year. But this was a guy, number three overall pick, a guy that, the you know, the year that he was drafted, it was widely believed the Cubs were going to take him with the number two overall pick. They ended up taking Chris Bryant, and suddenly John Gray was sitting there. The Rockies didn't think they were going to have a chance to be able to draft him out of Oklahoma. They got him. People heard about the velocity. They heard about the breaking stuff. You saw it early on in his career. Yes, there were control issues, but you saw it, and you, you saw the tantalizing potential of it. A lot of um, the advanced numbers, especially Fangraph's numbers, very kind to John Gray. Even numbers, last season. Even last season. Numbers that really celebrate dominant power strikeout pitchers, and John Gray is that guy. The problem was, and the problem is, is that um, the stuff is not matching up with the guy that is stepping out on the mound in big games and and leading his team to victory and I think in, I think that John Gray recognizes all of that. I'm sure he's disappointed in himself. Um, it is the social media age. Yeah, guys can they, all they have to do is click on their mentions and see how yeah. angry a fan base is at them. And I think that John Gray sounds like a guy that probably pays too much attention to those sorts of things, pays too much attention to the pressure that is on him. Probably puts a ton of pressure on himself, and he's not living up to it. Let's let's put a couple of things in context here, real. Real quick. Yeah. Uh, when the Rockies woke up that day uh, in 2013, the day of the draft, they thought they had Chris Bryant. Right. They were they were expecting Chris Bryant. Yeah. They thought the Cubs for sure were going to draft John Gray, mm -hmm. and they didn't. They drafted Chris Bryant. Mark Appel, I believe, the number Mark one Appel overall was, pick in that draft was number one. Yeah. Um. So John Gray fell to the Rockies. They were very they were very pleased with that. They were fine. Yes. Um. Now immediately, and we're talking about a team that has never really had great pitching. Let's be totally honest. Mm -hmm. They've had a they've had moments here and there. Ubaldo was good for like a he was Ubaldo was dominant for half a season and he was a good pitcher for several years, um, but when, with John Gray, when John Gray entered entered the organization yeah he was supposed to save the entire history of the Rockies it wasn't just him too Butler and Gray okay yeah it was a one word statement Butler and Gray Butler and Gray and and. Like let's again let's put or, some, is Eddie Butler still in baseball? No, he's in uh, J Japan or Korea. Okay, so like, like let's put that in context. Like J John Gray 
you know, I, I know we're, I mean, we're talking about him as having, I mean, he did, he had a, he struggled last year. He really did. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, he's, <laughs> I mean, it could be way worse. Eddie Butler's not even pitching in the major leagues. Sure. Um, and they, yeah, right. They were supposed to be together. I mean, that's how wildly divergent your path can go. But John, I mean, John Gray's right there. The one, one weird thing that he said to, to the other day was, he didn't like his 2017 either. He was like kind of ragging on himself about 20. I'm like, man, you were he was awesome in 2017. Good that year. So I like so it's weird. It's weird sometimes the pressure that he puts on himself. And sometimes I want to be. It's not my place. I mean, I'm not. It's not my place to say anything. But sometimes I want to be like John Gray. Don't worry about it, man. Like you don't worry about it. Just do you. Yeah. Ride your skateboard and throw fastballs and don't worry about it. Yeah. Um. And I think and I wonder, you know. If actually we can see a big benefit to to when he doesn't have to be the number one, I wonder if that will help. I've wondered that same thing because he's had to answer the question so much about over being the over. ace of the staff to the point where on my radio show I do a silly bit um, called the John Gray Aceometer or <laughs> yeah. or Asometer, if you will, and and we 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 play it every single time after John Gray pitches and. I I do the the bit exists because it's a little bit of a meta thing. I'm mocking my own industry and profession right. because that's always the topic with John Gray is John is John Gray an ace? Yeah, but is he an ace with anything that he does? But he's answered that question so much. Yeah. I just think he's internalized a lot of that conversation. Yeah. And but again, not to repeat not to repeat like he's not only are people asking if he's an ace all these times, but they're asking, like, are you still here to save the organization? Like, that was his, like, that's, I mean, that was immediately put on him. You're right, and it's not on that's him not at fair. all anymore. No, it is, now it's not on him. The conversation is fully about Freeland and Marquez now. Right. Freeland finishes fourth in the Cy Young Award voting. Marquez was even arguably better than Freeland yeah. was over the last couple of months of this season. They are the established one-two punch, and if Freeland and Marquez finish the way that they did a year ago, that is um, as good as any one-two punch outside of Washington that that exists in a pitching staff in the National League. Herman Marquez was the second-best pitcher in all of baseball over basically three months to end the season behind only Jacob deGrom. Mm -hmm. Um, The benefit that the the luxury that Kyle Freeland and Herman Marquez have is that they don't have to be the one savior guy. John Gray already blazed that path. Right. Like th- they can sort of hide behind him while he hides behind them. like it's re- while he be- hides behind them. It's really helpful. And it's not really just the two of them. It's the whole it's the whole it's the whole staff. Like Tyler Anderson's like put Tyler Anderson on the Rockies in the Rockies rotation like what? 4 years ago? Yeah. We'd be talking about how awesome like he'd be by far their best pitcher. Like how many like how many seasons would Tyler Anderson be the Rockies' best pitcher that year? Like more, way more than half. All right, so I'm on Baseball Reference right now. This is career wins above replacement for pitchers. Rockies history. Who do you think's number one? While they were a Ro- Rockies pitcher, yes. Aaron Cook. Uh, he is number two on the list. Was did Ubaldo have enough? Time it is to Ubaldo. Wow. Eighteen point nine wins above replacement. This is pitcher war. Cook number two. Um, at 17.2, De La Rosa, three, Yolis Chassin, four, Steve Reed, number five. Yolis was awesome. Underrated Rocky. Okay. He wasn't, again. But his time was short again. It was. Yeah. And if 
Yolis Chassin was the fourth best pitcher in the history of your organization. Yeah. <laughs> That's troublesome. Rounding out the top 10, Kyle Freeland is already number six. Pedro after two years. After two crazy. years. Pedro Astacio, number seven. Jason Jennings at eight. Jeff Francis, nine. And the great Brian Fuentes, number 10. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that'll change. That'll change. Very, that list will change very quickly. Very you, soon. You would think so that, that Herman, Freeland will continue to climb the list. Herman will find his way onto the list. And then you know, the Rockies hope that one day John Gray discovers something. No, I mean, and we'll, like, if you do, if you do the same search on Fangraphs, yeah. like Fangraphs War, I, John Gray might be in the top 10 right now. I'm sure he is, actually. Fangraphs, is, uh, Fangraphs War is very generous to John Gray. Because they like strikeouts, and he's a strikeout pitcher, which yeah. is very valuable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's 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 a lot going for John Gray. Like, I don't uh, part. I mean, I'm still not totally convinced that he might not be a better pitcher in the bullpen because he would be awesome at it. I mean, he would just. I think he would destroy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I understand. Like, it's really valuable to have a starting pitcher. That's why he's in the. That's why he's in the rotation. I mean, that you see, we've seen what he's what he does at times. I mean, like he he can strike out 18 guys in a game. Yeah. Like without. I mean, that's totally feasible. Let's let's talk about somebody that is established and good. How's Kyle Freeland doing? Good, great. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> it's just like you don't even have to worry about it. I mean, he's st- w- like it's hilarious. He just seems so damn unflappable. He's the anti John Gray. No, and and um, you know now you know when I when you when you talk about sort of pitches and you're talking about pitches and what he's adding, it's like really granular details now. So yeah. he's I think he I forget what he said. I think he's like, yeah, I'm really trying to uh, I'm really trying to uh, work on my uh, change up to um, power hitting right-handers in three two counts i'm like what what what, what? <laughs> like a th- like a third year guy sh- i don't i mean that's pretty refined for a third was yes. it third year guy third, yes. yeah third year guy um like that i mean that's pretty you're like you're in the weeds at that point like that's pretty great i mean that's those are the kinds of things like a veteran pitcher starts talking about um but there he is i mean that's i mean that's who he is uh, it's, hey, I don't really, you know, last year was a year for hitters to catch up to him and he, he got better. Yeah. Uh, I still think it might have, there might, I still think a stretch is coming where hitters kind of like maybe get Kyle Freeland a little bit, but he's so varied. I think he can adjust to it pretty quickly. I don't, I don't think the he does. He lives on the edges. Yeah. The, uh, I, I think that he tunnels that cutter and that slider so damn well yeah. that it's really hard to pick up those pitches. Um, straight change. There were games where he was throwing a lot of straight changes last year and and throwing them quite effectively. So, and if you're if you're an opposing team, yeah, you face Herman Marquez one day who throws ninety nine, ninety eight, yeah, um, and and can blow it by you. The ne- a right hander. The next day you're throw you're facing like a, I don't know a cra- I don't know, I shouldn't use the word crafty, but you're facing like a a varied lefty. Like that's pretty difficult back to back. Yes. Like that's a good combo. It's a really good combo. It uh, if the Rockies could have actually scored some runs in the postseason, I would have liked to have seen what that would have looked like over the course of of a whole series. Yeah, I know because they had to burn him. They had to burn. I mean, he was awesome. He was yeah. awesome in Chicago. Yeah, like that was no that. I mean, he was right. terrific that night. And the that the Cubs were no slouch. No, I mean that was a good cut. <laughs> and I mean, off- they, offensively, they were pretty bad by the end of the year, but. Uh, but no, Freeland was great. That I mean, day. he had to face some tough. He was awesome that day. Yeah, man, how, how many, so many stuff, so much stuff happened in that game that I've totally forgotten about. I looked at the box score the other day, uh-huh. a couple of days ago, like someone oh threw an in, almost two innings. He was great. That <laughs> he was day. awesome. Yeah, uh, Oberg struck out four guys in a row. Mm-hmm. I I kind of remember that. Yeah. Um, like yeah, it was crazy, weird stuff. 
Nobody could have hit that night. Nobody, no, could've, nobody could have hit. There was that. There was a ball that like David Dahl flubbed in right field. Like yep. there were so many things that could have been the end for both teams. Uh huh. And then it, the Rockies just outlasted them. And then a the backup catcher like wins the game. Tony Walters. Weird game. I'm. Yeah. It's not like an all time awesome game. Uh huh. Weird, but a like a memorably weird game. I uh, think it's an all time memorable game. Memorable. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's not like David Freeze hitting one in the 11th or 12th, whatever that was. But No, it's not like, exactly. But it's like <laughs> Tony Walters' single up the middle. <laughs> it's not a David Freeze home run. But, uh, but like, yeah, no, memorable. Um, we are, we're 28 minutes into this podcast, Nick Roke. And we have violated the uh, sanctity of the off-season baseball podcast because at this point we have not mentioned the names Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. Oh, yeah. Oh, those dudes. Yes. So, so the... So the Dodgers, uh, very, you know, it's weird. the The Dodgers should have signed Bryce Harper like two months ago, right? I don't know why they. I'm not totally sure why they didn't. And now they are apparently trying to court him on a short term deal. All of a sudden, they fly their manager Dave Roberts and a bunch of execs to Las Vegas to talk to to talk to Bryce Harper. I think this is just a a ploy to drive up the price on the Phillies. Uh-huh. To be honest, because I think. I think the Dodgers might suspect that the Phillies are going to be a juggernaut here in the next year, two years, or three years in the National League, and the Dodgers are probably going to continue being really good, and they're just trying to screw with the Phillies. How in the world could the Phillies justify their existence as a baseball organization and everything that they have tried to do this offseason if they don't sign Bryce Harper? They then go get Mike Trout the next year, and then they're like, who remembers Bryce Harper anyway? But they should have both those guys. I mean, they, <laughs> they have enough money. Uh, I mean, if I was if I was a f- Phillies executive are like, yeah, I want both those guys. But you you go all in on Real Muto. You get, you give up a ton of talent to be able to bring him in. You have a maturing roster right now, and nothing is all that certain that you're going to get Mike Trout next year. No, right. I am a firm believer that the idea of the professional athlete making the grand homecoming is one of the most overrated things in all of sports because most guys can't stand playing in their hometown. Yeah, big Philly, big Eagles fan. I don't know. I could see it happen. I don't know. I mean, sure, he could, but he he plays right now in Anaheim, and I don't see Mike Trout missing too many Eagles games. <laughs> no, true. He's pretty much always there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it and it would be a different. It would be a weird environment. Like a lot of times, the change that that change can be kind of jarring. Yeah. I mean, it's not like Anaheim is not like Philadelphia. No. F- the fans are not the same. <laughs> no, he he lives in beautiful Southern California right now. He gets to play out there. There's far less pressure on him. He can DH occasionally when he needs to. They have stupid money. I don't know. It, it's it's uh, I I would not be surprised if he ended up with the Phillies. Okay. I, th- I think I, yeah, but you, they, long story short, like yeah, the Phillies should if if they if they get beat on Harper, then they they've screwed up very much so. Um, but I the with, with the Dodgers at least like head faking. It might be sincere. I don't think it is, but it might be. Uh-huh. The Giants are legit. Uh, they they legitimately want Bryce Harper. I don't think they're gonna get into a crazy bidding war, but they legitimately want him. Yeah. Um, I see a I see a arms race in the NOS right now. I think, and I think it, a lot of it has to do with teams. F- coming to grips with the fact that Nolan Arnauto is going to be a long-term Rockies player. Mm-hmm. Um, for the longest time, it was a pitching division. Like, you had Kershaw, Baumgartner, Granke, and then good young pitchers, Walker Bueller, Hermann yeah. Marquez, Kyle Friedland. Like, it's set up to be a pretty good pitching division. And then all of a sudden, Manny Machado's in San Diego. The Giants are going after Bryce Harper. 
the Dodgers might be going after Bryce Harper. Arnado is going to maybe be a long-term Rockies player. Like there's kind of a, I think there's, I think they're reacting to each other a little bit. GMs. I asked the, I asked Mike Hayes in this, he's the GM of the Diamondbacks a couple of days ago. I said, is, you know, are you, do you ever change your, your sort of outlook, your long-term plan based on, cause you know, roster construction takes several years. A lot of times, I mean, you can go get a, an immediate free agent to help you. But you know that you at least know that you're going to need a free agent at that point. Like the roster construction takes several years. So I asked him, like, do you ever change your plan knowing what other teams in your own division do? And uh, this, and I asked him this in part because he refused to trade Paul Goldschmidt to the Rockies, even right. though they asked. Um, we, they never got to terms, but the, but he was like, "F off! Mm-hmm. I'm not trading Goldie in my own division. No way." Uh, so I asked him, like, you know, does your own division ever affect you with those things? He said, absolutely not. In fact, I try to, I try to block it out. I think he was being, since he's being sincere to a point. Like you have to, you have to have a plan. You have to stick to it. And if you start reacting, like you can get into trouble. However, when you see every other team in your division starting to just stockpile, eh, stockpile might be the wrong word, but like when you start to see like superstars, kind of flock to your division yeah at some point you have to be like well hell we got to keep up and i think that's what the padres did a little bit because they over they probably over bid they probably bid well over i think other teams i don't think it was like a matter of the white Sox offering 295 million and the potters are well we'll give you five million more to make it 300 i think they they went way i think well, they according went, to reports and maybe this is the white Sox trying to sound better to their own fan base but they were it was an incentive-laden deal that would have been more valuable over the life of the contract if Machado would have hit all the incentives to be with the White Sox than it was to end up with the guaranteed money with the Padres. Now, I think a lot of that had to do with um, Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn trying to basically appeal to a very angry fan base with the White Sox who were expecting Manny Machado to end up there. And then when the Padres swoop in last minute and land him, you got to make your offer sound maybe a little bit better than it actually was. The, and yeah, yeah. I mean, that might part of that might be true, but yeah, you should have done better. Sorry, like you you should have known. Oh, there's no second base. That's what was so funny to me. I saw I saw an interview uh, with Kenny Williams when and and he was talking about how the White Sox were very proud of of their pursuit and the offer that they made. Zero sum game for GMs. You either got the guy or you didn't, and you didn't. So the the White Sox reporter for the for the Athletic, uh, James Fegan, <laughs> went to, went to the Machado presser with the Padres. Did he? Uh, so he says. Um, so the 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 White Sox were stockpiling like friends of Machado on the roster. Like they signed his like brother in law, John Jay. Yep. Um, and the other dude, whatever. Uh, I don't know why I'm spacing. I believe a cousin and a brother-in-law. So there's there's stockpiling guys presumably to like lobby Manny Machado to come to Chicago, right? <laughs> so uh, Machado's asked at his own presser, like, uh, so uh, you know, have you talked? Have you talked to them yet? And like, are they disappointed? And he's like, no, man. They they told me how much they they liked San Diego. <laughs> it was hilarious. Like, oh man, they were. He was like, "Yeah, no, John Jay was telling me how much he enjoyed <laughs> <laughs> enjoys San Diego and the Padres." That's not like, an NBA recruiting pitch. <laughs> Come on! Like, did the did the White Sox know this when they signed you? Like, what? <laughs> I loved being a Padre, but uh, but yeah, let, uh, how long until the Padres are good? Because Machado's going to yeah, show up there not, this year. Yeah, not this year. Um, pitching wise, I think. 
Baseball America has them number two in terms of a pitching pipeline, number eight offensively, and then number one overall Wait, because they, they're they, they're that stacked. As a team, they're they're ranked. Their prospects are ranked better as pi- their pitching prospects are ranked better. The, yes, their position players are badass. Yes, I don't Fernando Tatis Jr. F Tat. Yes, I, I don't. I'm not gonna. I said that sarcastically. <laughs> I think that's starting to like creep out there. I'm not calling that dude F Tat. No way. No. Uh, no. That sounds dumb. <laughs> F Tat. If I called you N Crack, wouldn't you just like hit me in the face? No, that's that would be a little aggressive. I would probably tell you, you know, you're the only person in the world that tells me that. <laughs> I think, I think if I was you and and you called me N crack, I w- I probably wouldn't hit you in the face, but I'd be like, you're really close to me hitting you in the face. I I call you Grokster. Am I that's the only okay. one that calls you that? No. Okay. No, that's all right. All right. But I don't know something about the, like the first initial part last name <laughs> F Tat. That's kind of dumb. <laughs> F Tat. You gotta become up better. You gotta come up with something better than that. Taddy. Taddy's like a little hockey, little NHL, but it's a better. Um, yeah, they're not going to be hockey nicknames are the laziest. Oh, they're so yeah. Come on, put a little bit of effort into it. Yeah. Um, Nady, you'd just be Nady. Although, Cracky. so the Avalanche uh, today to to get off topic. I know Ryan S. Clark isn't on this podcast. They acquired a player from the Florida Panthers named Derek Brassard. and so I was trying to guess on Twitter what might his nicknames be. Brazier, but. <laughs> <laughs> Man's ear. Well, everything was brass based. <laughs> Brassy. And so the greatest hockey song of all time is, of course, Brass Bonanza. So I don't know if anybody calls him that, but he should be called Brass Bonanza. Brass Bon? <laughs> I, Br- brass Bonanza is a little long. That's a lot of syllables. It is, but I'm okay with that. Yeah, no, that's that's cool. I'm an eloquent like, public speaker. Like in, the, like in the room, you think they call him Brass Bonanza? Hey, Brass Bonanza. No, they don't. No. They I'm do. sure it's Brassy. I'm sure they're as lazy as they possibly can be. D-Brass? D-Brass was kind of dumb, too. I don't know. Yeah, that's along the lines of F-Tat. F-Tat, yeah. Anyway, like the, the Padres, are, they're going to be pretty good. Nolan, Nolan had a pretty funny, like, backhanded compliment at the Padres when uh, the day that Machado agreed to the deal. Yeah. Uh, he's like, yeah, uh, you know, I've kind of heard about uh, some of these young Padres players. I guess they'll be good eventually. <laughs> <laughs> uh it's not happening this year i don't know they could be okay they could threaten a little bit i'm I'm not you know the th- the thing you know talking to some some baseball people and i don't think this is bitterness speaking because I, I was talking to people who had no dog in this fight at all they're like yeah you know machado's good for like 30 home runs and he'll do it like completely unspectacularly like he's a he's not like an especially fun player to watch i think like he'll, I mean, he'll he'll be good. He'll produce for you. I don't think he'll. There's like, no such thing as an unspectacular thirty home runs. I think there is. <laughs> thirty home run. Thirty home runs is a great accomplishment. I think you hit thirty home runs. It doesn't matter when production happens. It is always valuable. I, I don't know you. I don't know the pod. What the Padres finished seventy four and eighty, whatever ninety. What what is seventy four? They they have seventy four wins this year, and he hits thirty five home runs. Who cares? That's not Manny Machado's fault that the team sucks. He would have done his part if he hits 35 home runs and they only win 74 games. Guys have won MVP awards before on last place teams. So the so early July, you know, he has like he has like maybe 19, 22 home runs, and he's like not, and he's like a backup third baseman at the All Star game behind Nolan Arenado, and they're like 15 games out. Like, who cares? I know, I know, I know the long ball plays, but like at some point you're like yawn. (laughs) 
I'm not ragging on him. I, I don't know. I think it's still he's a good player. I think it's still a good move by the Padres, and by the time oh, that their that their system is ready to mature for the big league level, and you never know for sure if it's going to work out. But this is a good player to have around. I was surprised he ended up. I was really surprised he ended up in the in San Diego because I don't I don't think he's definitely an East Coast guy. And but also like the Padres saw how I mean he was he was wholly unhelpful to the Dodgers last year. They went to the, the World Series. That. Yeah, what did he do? He helped a team get to the World Series. Max Muncie helped that team get to the World Series. Without question, <laughs> but I again to say that Manny Machado did nothing for the I'm not Dodgers. He did nothing. I know his numbers weren't spectacular. They went to the World Series. I mean, was he? I mean, did you? I mean, if you if you crawled out of a cave last year and you saw that guy play, where you're like, that's a three hundred million dollar player. I'm not. I'm. Not, I. He got paid what he got. What he deserved. He's I'm just a, saying he like, is a generational talent. He is. He is that great of a player. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, among them. He's not alone. No, he's not alone. He, but was, he, a fe- he was a phenom. He ca- he started playing in the major leagues, what, when he was 19? At the age of 19. He is a top, probably a top 10 player in the game today. He automatically makes any team that he plays for better, including the Dodgers, who acquired him last year, and then they went to the World Series. I- I'm not. Now, they didn't go to the World Series because of Manny Machado. I just, I think you're poo-pooing him a little much. I might be a little bit. I mean, great player. Period. Like yeah. that's all that matters. He's all right, and and maybe this but he's is a part of it. Fun. Maybe this is a part of it. Maybe our view of Manny Machado, who is a great player, is slightly tainted here it in is. Denver, Colorado, because we watch Nolan Arenado every single day, and Nolan Arenado is objectively a better player than Manny Machado. Um, as your colleague Jason Stark wrote on The Athletic, and I talked to him on the radio about it the other day, it's Mike Trout, it's Mookie Betts, and then it's Nolan Arenado, the best player in the National League. Now, that is not to say that Manny Machado isn't a great player, um, that, 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 that Chris Bryant in Chicago isn't a great player, that Paul Goldschmidt in St. Louis isn't a great player. There's There are a number of... Excellent ball players, uh, you know, freaking Yelich. The MVP yeah. last year was unbelievable. I don't think he, I don't think he actually recorded an out for roughly two months last year. So th- there are a lot of other great players. It's just Nolan is better than everybody else. It is, and we are, and we are, and I'm not. Again, I'm not. I don't have a dog in this fight. I'm not. You I'm not lobbying for him, but, but we have a chip on our shoulder in this town about him because we watch him all the time, and we we want to spread the gospel of the greatness of Nolan Arenado. Whether you root for him or not, you, you know baseball. I I think I know baseball, and we watch Nolan Arenado play the game. And damn it, that guy's better than everybody else. Okay, now, but here, I guess here's my ultimate point. Yeah, are you saying that because? He hits 30 home runs, or are you saying that because he's fun as hell to watch play baseball? I'm saying that because he hits 30 home runs, he win gold, he wins Gold Glove awards, and yes, he is fun as hell to play baseball. Here, let me let me pull up. Well, you just totally dodged my question. You just said let me, everything. Let me Which pull is, up I guess, an answer. Jason Stark. This is his piece that he wrote on the Athletic. Um, by the way, the headline: Nolan Arenado is the best player in the National League. Why hasn't anyone noticed? Which I do think the tide is turning now yeah. about the the greatness of Nolan Arenado, but he points out a couple of numbers in here that are unbelievable that I didn't know until I read them in this piece. Um, baseball players with six straight gold gloves and three home run titles in that span. Uh, Nolan is one. Who's the other one? Mike Schmidt. 
Yeah. Okay, that's the company he keeps. How about guys that won three home run titles and four gold gloves in four years, which Nolan Arenado just did? Here's the company that Nolan Arenado keeps. Willie Mays, Mike Schmidt, Ken Griffey Jr., Nolan. Yeah. That's historic stuff right there. And Jason Stark, God bless the man, took the piece one step further when he wrote about the course factor, not the fact that his batting average splits are 322-63 in his career, which is massive, a 57-point gap. But Jason Stark also points out the fact that baseball players that play for the Rockies have a greater challenge between the difference between playing at home and going on the road than anyone else in baseball that have a greater physical challenge playing 81 games at altitude every single year. Jason Stark, um, I, I believe he's from the East Coast originally, but as far as I'm concerned, that man is an honorary citizen <laughs> of Denver, Colorado. God bless Jason Stark. I told him that people were saying that about him. Like you're, uh, I told him that after the, I think it was the day that that story came out. Good. I saw him and I, I said, "Yeah, you're." I think I think you can probably drink some beer in Denver if you want. You can run for the mayor of Denver, <laughs> and people will vote for you. And also, and I and I said this to him on the show. I would assume that his that that Nolan's agent Joel Wolf that he emailed a copy of this story to Jeff Bryant. Oh, he also, you know, the the other thing that he did, yeah, right. He, the uh his agent did at least. Yeah. Uh or you did say agent. I, I thought did. You, yeah, I thought you meant Jason Stark emailed it to him. I don't think Jason Stark emailed it to anybody. No, I don't think Maybe Jason Stark mom. cared. Um but uh he also ran he also ran Nolan's numbers through baseball baseball reference has that cool thing um like uh what do you call it like stats um blandex? No, um normalizer they have a stat normalizer so you can like you can be like what is what does nolan arenado do uh if he played half his games in in x stadium oh yeah it's kind of cool and he still he still leads the league in home runs or he's still like top three in the league in home runs so it's like the um is that am i using i think it's called the normalizer um it's in the story. There's a list of like who you know where what what his numbers would be or uh, if he had played if he played as his home park other parks in in the National League. Yes. Um, the thing the thing about home runs is like I don't do I don't see a lot of cheap Nolan home runs. The cheap home run at Coors Field is like the blooper that just kind of carries. Yeah. I, I don't really see a lot of those. I, I'll, I'll keep telling this people because people still don't understand this. They're like oh home run park. It's not it's not exactly a home run. It's a doubles park. Yeah. Um. Cincinnati is a home run park. New York, New York, Yankee Stadium is a home run park. By park effects, I believe, didn't Arlington, Texas, I think, was the most offensively friendly park in baseball yeah. last year over Coors Field. Coors, Coors Field for the last couple of years is not the most offensive park. Yeah. I, I think if you. If yeah, they you fell to number two this past year. Um, so, yeah, it's home runs. I, I mean, home runs play. Like, it's not, you, you don't get a There aren't a lot of cheap home runs at Coors Field. There are some here and there, but not, I don't know. Not outlandishly, but here, here's my to get back. I mean, I once saw Chris Iannetta hit a broken bat home run at Coors Field. You can hit cheap home runs at Coors Field. Man, I I have seen some of the worst home runs I've ever seen in my life. Like, not even high school baseball can compare to, uh, Sky Sox Stadium, Security Service Field. That, oh yeah, that place was a freaking joke. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sorry. It's just like they. It's on the top of a hill. Yeah. It's like an enormous outfield. The wind blows out constantly. Yeah. Like, uh, I yeah, broken bat off the handle home runs like are regular. Like, it's – that park's ridiculous. Can I just mention to you really quick, um, 
Nate Crackman, Wakanda Bulldogs, 1998, <laughs> my senior year. I hit my only career home run in my high school career, and I hit it on the road at Grant High School, short porch and right, uh, 280. Hey, there 280 you go. down the line in right at Grant High School because, I don't know, whatever, the tennis courts were like bridging into where the right. baseball field should be, and I, I hit it out. I When I hit it, I thought it was a pop-up. I thought that it was just a can of corn. I was sprinting. I hit the thing so damn high. I was going around second base, and I looked up and saw the umpire twirling his finger. It was the cheapest home run of all time, and I don't care. It was still one of the greatest moments of my life. You still had 180 feet. Did you use that last that last half lap to pimp it? <laughs> Did you pimp it a little bit? Just just the teensiest <laughs> little bit. Also, uh, one of the, one other note on that story, and I'm not. I, I hope nobody thinks that I'm trying to sound cool by telling the story, but it is the truth. Um, I, I hit it in the second inning. And my mom and dad didn't get to the game until the third. <laughs> so my mom and dad, a lifetime of watching me play a billion Little League games, never hit one out, finally did. They weren't there. Yeah, bummer. Yeah. Yeah, that's I all know. right. Because that would have been a nice moment for them. I think my dad would have enjoyed it more than I did. Yeah. It was still pretty good for me. Yeah. Yeah. You could have you could have heard your mom like screaming like, eh. When you thought you you hit a pop up, right? You would have known. You would have had. You would have maybe had extra time to pimp it. <laughs> Bummer. Short porch and right. I don't take it, man. I did. I'm not play. giving it back. Homer's. Play. I am not giving it back. <laughs> My one career home run. I was proud of it. Live it. <laughs> How many years later you're still telling the story? I, I, I tell the story too. I'm not. I'm not. I will never forget the moment as long as I live. So, uh, home runs, cheap or not, feel damn good when you hit them. Hell yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, I'm not giving that one back. Uh, what else is going on with the rocks? Um, w- let me ask. Let me ask you. So, Ian this- Desmond. Can Ian Desmond hit yet? Uh, he's moving to center field. Yeah. Can he hit? Is he I mean, really. is he going to lead the majors in ground ball rate again, or is Ian Desmond poised for any sort of bounce back season? Remains to be seen. Yeah. Now, like a sure I've does. Heard, I've heard this. I've heard this uh, bandied about on several occasions at Salt River Field so far mm-hmm. through two ish weeks yeah. of spring training. Uh, twenty two and eighty eight. Oh, I read that twenty two and eighty eight. Like I've heard you it published that quote. Uh. But yeah, Bud Black said it um, more than once. Yeah. I forget if anybody else said it. Mm-hmm. It's not untrue. There, Ian Desmond last year hit 22 home runs. He sure did. And 88 RBIs. And he led Major League Baseball in ground ball rate. He hit into 17 double plays last season. He was consistently behind fastballs, and he was a below-replacement-level player. He had a top, not just led the league, he had a top 20 ground ball rate since the year 2000 yeah like it was i don't like even a, think it was his career high ground ball rate either no um but 22 and 88 like again long ball plays man but so there's that you better be able you know, to hit 22 home runs playing a whole year at coors field well, he's he's certainly athletic and strong enough to to do it but but again this but, here's the thing here's the thing that i'll say about ian desmond okay and, and i really do think and i don't know if he would ever admit it or not he started guessing better as the season wore on, he is not getting around on fastballs anymore. 
He is not he's not able to make that adjustment. He I think he started guessing on fastballs. He started running his barrel into a lot of them and he started hitting the ball out of the park pretty consistently and he got better as the season went on. He was hitting the ball pretty hard the other way quite often. I think that that was a huge part of why kind of the end of May beginning of June he started to hit a little bit better and if you if you can refine that skill the ability to be able to guess and do so effectively and scout well enough to understand, okay, this I'm expecting a fastball in this count, so I I can jump on this thing a little bit. You you can carve out a few more quality years in a big league uniform. You you poo pooed twenty two and eighty eight. I'm not I'm not defending anything, but like I, did. I sent you the numbers. What is it? Twenty one Rockies all ever have ever done that? Yeah. And it's like and they're all good names. It's the Tulos and the Walkers, Helton, Nolan. All right. I mean, it's crazy. Whoa, the the list is crazy. The hold the, on, no, no, no. I have this in my it's in my notes. Okay, here we go. So you remind me who like because we were you and 22 I twenty two and eighty eight. I was trying to, we were trying to determine who had the worst year who did that. I mean, I think Ian Desmond had the worst season of among players who did who reached twenty two and eighty eight. All right, here's it's okay. Like, these aren't all twenty two and eighty eights, but these are all roughly twenty two and eighty eight equivalents. Okay. 06 Brad Hopp, 22 and 84. Oh, you extended it. Why are you extending it? Because. <laughs> okay. It, it, it this makes the exercise a little bit more fun. Uh 09 Clint Barmas, 23 and 76. 93 Charlie Hayes. Yeah. He he had 22 and 88. 25 and 98. 09 Ian Stewart. Is Charlie Hayes the no, never mind. 25 and 70. Ian Stewart, yeah. 03 Jay Payton. Yeah, I think that was up there. <laughs> 28 and 89. Okay. So right here, this list that I just gave you, Hop, Barmas, Charlie Hayes, Ian Stewart, Jay Payton. Who had the... That is that is five guys that had 22 home run seasons, right? Yeah. Okay, let's do some quick math. They earned, and it's not all adjusted for inflation, but that group combined $5.5 million. <laughs> oh, okay. In yeah. those seasons yeah. last year for... Ian Desmond's 22 and 88 that Bud Black loves. Uh, Ian Desmond made 22 million. What was the, uh, what were their, what were their, did you happen to look up their wars? I did not actually. And I have, hold on, I have the play index somewhere because Bud Black also said um, in that piece, he said, what, roughly, you know, 15 guys or whatever around baseball did that last year. Um, the number that I looked up, hold on, fill time for a second here, Nick. I'm gonna, I'm going to find this really quickly because I, I actually ran the numbers on this and I know I emailed it to myself. God, I forgot about this topic and I should have had it ready to go for the podcast. Here's the, here's the thing about Ian Desmond moving to center field. It, it's in part to save Charlie Blackman's legs a little bit. Um, cause they need to extend, they need to they need to squeeze a little bit more out of Charlie offensively yeah. and uh, extend his career so he doesn't get completely beat down. Center field is a fascinating topic at center at, at Coors Field. I, I looked up, speaking of, like I'll, I'll swerve here a second, look up Charlie Blackman's defensive numbers when when Bud Black announced that he would officially play right field. Yeah. Uh, center fielders at Coors Field, Rocky center fielders at Coors Field get, eaten alive like it's bad news like there there is by, by st statistically speaking and defensive stats are are not 
I don't like defensive stats by and large. Sometimes they're helpful, but yeah. th- I think they're wildly inaccurate in Coors Field's outfield. Um, basically, they have never had it. There's the number the the defensive numbers for for Rockies center fielders are always always bad. Period, and it's it's not completely their fault. Like, because and I know this because immediately when they leave and go to other teams, all of a sudden they're awesome center fielders. And mm. I mean Juan Pierre, Dexter Fowler. Uh, all all of the sort of their their best defensive center fielders. Once they left the Rockies, all of a sudden it was like, man, you're an awesome center fielder. Um, but anyway, it's just like it's a really difficult center field to play, and they're they're putting Ian Desmond there, so because he can just be athletic and do his thing. Yeah, uh, it's an easier position than first base. No, they can actually get some value out of Ian Desmond as a center fielder, and hopefully in the same way that they're trying to sort of squeeze more out of Charlie Blackman. Yeah, uh, by putting him in right field, I think they're I think. They kind of hope that maybe that's the same for Ian Desmond offensively, playing playing center field. Like, don't don't worry about learning this position. Now, there's a funny there's a funny stat with Ian Desmond playing center field. Last time he was a full time center fielder, he had eight errors in his first nine games. Ugh. They were all fielding errors. He he evened out after that, but it was a bad. It was a rough start. So well, I'm really curious to see how he does. Okay, so Bud Black's claim: What did 15 guys around baseball go 22 and 88 last year? That's what that's what Bud Black said. Okay. As he's pushing 22 and 88. <laughs> yeah. All right. And I'm not trying to have some character assassination of Bud Black for his claim. Good for him for defending his player. But there were 31 players in baseball. Okay. 31 that went at least 22 and 88 a year ago. Okay. Um by batting average out of the 31 Ian Desmond 30 hitting 236. Only Joey Gallo was lower. Oh, geez. Yeah. Um, on base, Ian Desmond out of 31, number 31. Yeah. 307 on base. Slugging, out of 31 names, Ian Desmond, 31. Yeah, bummer. So not surprisingly, by OPS, out of 31, Ian Desmond, 31. At 729 as the OPS. Let's hit the old wins above replacement out of 31 players. Ian Desmond, number 31, the only below replacement play uh, level player oh, really? on the entire list. Yes. <laughs> Reese Hoskins of the Phillies, um, 0.5 wins above replacement. Bryce Harper, this according to baseball reference, at 1.3. Edwin Encarnacion, 1.9. Joey Gallo, 2.1. But there is Ian Desmond all the way down there at number 31, uh, negative 0.6 wins above or wins below replacement. Yeah, and I don't. I, I think they're to the point, though, where like... 22 and 88. We, we sort of... I think we've sort of seen the, the bottom to be honest. Like he got off to that slow start 2 years ago cuz he broke his hand he broke he got hit by a pitch, he broke his wrist hand. Yeah. Um he's and they and they they're moving him around although they told him that he was going to be he was going to be a utility player when they signed him basically. Um he's going to have to start off at first base, but uh-huh. um I think we're to the point where like he I I mean I I I th- I think the sort of like going theory about about Ian Desmond that he's offensively he's probably hit bottom and then so you can't get it. The dead cat bounce is coming now for me and Desmond. I, here's my whole concern with Ian Desmond is, again, typically when guys lose the ability to get around on a fastball, that doesn't come back. Not in, not, not in 2019. True, um, but you, you should. It did in the late 90s, if you know what I'm saying. An experienced player, and he has, he has a lot of experience. Yes. And he knows how to play baseball. He really doesn't know how to play baseball. Uh, you should be able to adjust if that right. means hitting the ball. Uh, to the opposite field. It's what I talked or, about. It's it's guessing on fastballs. 
yeah or just having a better a better like yeah approach yeah uh guessing it's not a good guessing is not a good strategy but well it, it's but it, it it can be effective like i remember i interviewed joe mauer about this one time and, and i asked him specifically it, it was interesting it was actually at the request of uh our friend jonah carey i told him look i'm interviewing joe mauer what like give me a suggestion give, give me one idea because joan is smart i'm like bouncing off and this is a thing i do as a talk radio guy sometimes i ask people that are way smarter than me of like hey uh what, what would be a good question to ask this guy well if you could interview him what would you ask him and jonah suggested that to me he's like ask joe mauer about guessing on fastballs yeah and i kind of was like isn't he gonna be offended by that question and I asked it to him, and he was not offended in the least. Interesting. And he spoke openly about it of this is the reality of being an aging baseball player. And this is something that you have to be able to do because major league fastballs are ridiculously hard to hit. And when your quick twitch reactions yeah. start to go a little bit, you have to find other ways to be able to keep yourself afloat so to speak and joe mauer was saying yeah i'm kind of carving out a few more years in the bigs yeah based on based purely on what you just talked about with ian desmond my knowledge and my experience and my ability to be able to adjust to my declining skills and he's he's athletic and fast like there are things that you can you just you he just can't be hitting in the double plays and the, i mean that's really the problem so that's why you saw i think they they tried to nudge him a little bit into like changing his his stance, his his setup, his batting setup in the box to, yeah. to try to like just lift the ball a little bit. Mm-hmm. Man, watching Daniel Murphy this spring so far, yeah, dude hits every single ball in the air. He does. He has a beautiful swing, <laughs> by the way. It's like um and like I, I don't know. So pop ups, sure. At yeah. least you don't hit pop ups aren't double plays, man. Well, here's the question though. Um, will Daniel Murphy give Ian Desmond any advice or will he not want to force his beliefs onto anybody else? Yeah, I don't <laughs> <laughs> I sent you that quote right away. You did. I'm glad I did. <laughs> Daniel Murphy, though, does have a very nice swing. Uh, he hits the ball in the air. Yeah. Yeah, it's like kind of a bummer to talk about this. <laughs> All right. Well, then, but uh, but he, he hits the ball uh, really far in the air. Yeah. Like boom, there you go. Mm-hmm. And he has, a, and he's played. He's played like five times as many postseason games as anybody else on the Rockies. So like that's why he's on the team. Which is certainly something that is good to have. If David Dahl avoids a freak injury this year, how good a year can he have? Like, he, what's his ceiling on his? I numbers? mean, I, I think I think he should be. I think he should be Bellinger, basically. Okay, um, he can be that good. I think. I think so. Yeah, yeah. he um, has a beautiful swing as well. When you oh, talk yeah. about a nice uppercut swing, and again, best shape in his of his life. He's he's strong. Man. Okay, he you know uh, you know his uh, body type, and I I think this might not be coincidence. Uh, his body type looks like really looks like Charlie Blackman. Like I I wonder if they shared routines because he his sort of like his he's his shape kind of looks like charlie blackman interesting he's not he's not as big as charlie blackman but he he kind of has that sort of like same kind of and not bearded and not not bearded um he hired he hired a personal uh chef cook whatever okay went a long way like he gained he certainly gained weight he's he's a lot bigger he needed it man he was too thin and like yeah, it's, I mean, it's not even so much for power because we've seen him hit for power. It's more just like la- being able to last a season. That's why he needed a game weight. So much of his stuff is so freak, though. 
Yeah. Yeah, true. You but know, colliding with a teammate and he got yeah, a foul ball off his foot. Right. Like, yeah, that's that stuff is fluky. But also, I don't. I, to me, uh, again, this is, this is projection. But I don't. I don't know if he would have. I don't know if he would have lasted. Like I've seen him. He he like looked John Gray gaunt like at times. Okay. Um, in the past, and I, th- I, I wonder if he would have been able to survive a season if he hadn't had those fluky seasons. All right. Last thing uh, that we're gonna discuss is Pakota projections. You say Pakota. Like like the chicken, Pakoda. I say Pakoda. 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 Um, eighty four, eighty four wins for the Rockies this upcoming season. Uh, according to our friends at the Westgate Las Vegas Superbook, they have the Rockies over under for the season at eighty four and a half. That is the second highest total in the division, trailing only the Dodgers at a whopping ninety three and a half. And even Fangraphs, their projections have the I mean the they have the Rockies at eighty one wins and yeah. still in second place in the West, but not good the eighty one's not going to get you into the postseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it would be like two or three off off the off the postseason if I remember right. Uh, 81 seems a little low to me. Uh, 84 and a half seems pretty fair as an over-under. I think that's a pretty – I think Vegas did their homework. Yeah. Um, 80 – I mean, they won 91 last year. Here's what. Here's why I get so confused about the Rockies. They won 91 games last year uh, and had a negative run differential into September. Right. Like, so what? Like, could their, can their offense be worse? I guess it could possibly. I don't think it'll be worse. It's at least be as good. I mean, you still have Nolan Arnato. You have Daniel Murphy instead of DJ LeMayhew. That's an offensive upgrade. Yes. David Dahl is probably an, uh, is an upgrade over Gerardo Parra. Yes. Um, uh, Ian Desmond's still on the team, so that's a wash. Uh, My Car- ba- Cargo's not on the team. He he was he was good offensively. He had underrated offensive season. If, if everybody is healthy, I think 84 looks really good. Inevitably, everybody won't be healthy. And here's the other thing about this is that the Rockies have had an unbelievably – Solid run of starting pitching health. Something something will happen. It's it's going to happen. Like I'm sorry, yeah. but like somebody's going to get injured. It's pro- like somebody's probably going to have Tommy John at some point. It's just like the law. The law, The averages say so. Right. Um. I'm not. I'm not. Nobody's rooting for it, and it's probably. I'm not saying it will happen. But I mean, Bettis and and Tyler Anderson had their problems a year ago, but the top of the rotation was super healthy. Exactly. So, but they have also. I mean, we're there. There's a discussion about who should be the number five. So they they have some depth. I mean, I think they go eight deep, which is not bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, it'll get a little dicey, but I think they could maybe get by. But like Senzatella, uh, Hoffman, Peter Lambert, like th- that's not bad depth uh, as far as starting pitching. But yeah, I mean, they have to like yeah any 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 extended pitching injuries will would hurt a ton. Period. Um, but they will also need a bunch of bounce backs in the bullpen. They yeah. seriously need. But like they Brian had, Shaw and Jake McGee and Mike Dunn to bounce back and Chris Russell to be good for most of the season. Was, if I, two of the four can bounce back, that's good. They would. Did they have did three of their bullpen guys have their career worst seasons last year? Did, well, I think Russell's was his career worst. That's probably fair. So yeah, like but and yeah. Dunn barely pitched, and they still went to the playoffs. So yeah. I'm 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 just saying like yeah and yeah and Dunn was out for a ton. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I'm. I'm saying, like, yeah, one guy bounces back and you have an improvement is what I mean. Right. But so, you subtract Adam out of Hino. That's a big no, true. subtraction. Very true. But you have a full season of, season of Sung Wong No. Okay. Um, throws strikes. Like, yeah, he's like a machine. Yeah. Um, He's not He's not as overpowering as Ottavino. By I him, will but. miss Adam Ottavino more than any other Rocky. Yeah, he was He was a really good pitcher. Like, uh, uh, yeah. And, I mean, that's a whole other thing, a whole other thing we can talk about. Like, right. They screwed up. 
not they didn't screw up by not signing him. They they screwed they painted, up by spending the money that they did a year earlier. Right. Yeah. Period. Now, yeah. like he was coming off a bad year in 2017, but I think you should have known that he was going to bounce back. You seen you saw how good he had been before that. Yeah. Um. So I mean, to me, that's a mistake. But yeah, I I don't know. But both bullpens are freaky. Dodgers bullpen has sucked too in the last few years at, at times. Like sometimes it was really bad. And they didn't hurt them. As long as Kenley Jansen was healthy, they were pretty much okay. Okay, well, Wade Davis is healthy. Yeah. He had led the National League in saves. Yes. Uh, he I, just had kind of one bad stretch. Outside of that, he was really good Yeah, no, he, he's totally reliable in every way. Yeah. The, the, problem, the, the problem as it is with Wade Davis, they should not have to rely on him. They should stop playing such close games. Score some runs. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want – it's not a great sign that, you're, that your closer leads the league in saves. It means you're not scoring runs and you're playing a whole bunch of close games. That's an excellent point. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's a part of why the run differential was what it was. I mean, you want a guy who can get it done if you if you have to, but you don't want to, you shouldn't yeah. have to. Yeah, it, it, it's it's nice to win nine to one sometimes. Yeah, or more than sometimes. Right. Or win four to one. Stop winning two to one. Yeah. Well, four know. to one still a, sla- still a safe, safe situation True. technically. But like four to one doesn't give you a negative run differential into September. All right. Score some runs and they'll be okay. Over the eighty-four. Let's make it eighty-four and a half. Yeah. Because the division is still sketchy, even though Machado's there, and yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I think they get over. Okay. I, I don't know. It, again, I, to me, and I, I, I feel like this is slightly lazy to say, but I, every season I say it's like the Rockies and the Cardinals are like I, – I feel like they're kind of the teams that are going to battle each other. Um, for a wild card? For a wild card spot. Yeah. Who else is there? I mean, the Cubs will, will – the Cubs, I think the Cubs will win their division, to be honest. Um, I don't know. Really? <laughs> Bummer. I kind of like Milwaukee to win that division. Milwaukee is so funny. Just how how far can you keep going? How long with can you go? With that bad starting pitching? With no starting pitching. Like zero. Almost zero. They just, I like Peralta, but come on. They hit a ton of home runs. They bludgeon you, and they have a great bullpen. Their, their number one is Yoli Shasin. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell, man? I know. <laughs> and And yet there they were. And I don't know, maybe the Mets are good. I don't know. The, like the the National League doesn't wow me overall, but like there are teams that are like basically at the level of the Rockies, so they have competition. The the, the NL East was bizarre last year, yeah. you know. But but I, I'm really there are four teams I think that could be good in that division. Yeah, I think everybody but the Marlins has a chance to be good yeah. in that division. And the you Ro- know, I, I look yeah. in the Central between Milwaukee, the Cubs, and and St. Louis, they will be right there. In the West, I think it's the Dodgers and the Rockies, and maybe the Padres will do that thing where they just get there a year ahead of schedule. I don't think that's going to happen, but there is always a team every single year that is good a year before everybody thought they would be. And if there are three teams in the Central and the East who can all beat up on each other, yeah, uh, then maybe that benefits the Rockies. Sure and does. Mick Cruz, because yep. they, they get to play Arizona and San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. By Pakota projections, the Dodgers uh, slated to be the best team in the National League at 93 wins. After that, it's Washington with 89, Milwaukee with 88. Pakota not kind to the Cubs. They have oh, really? them at 79. No and kidding. That's that's interesting. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. Like uh, the the, the, the Dodgers... Cubs desperately need you, Darvish, and Tyler Chatwood to both bounce back. <laughs> Oops. Yes. Um. The, the Nationals are good. The uh. I I I think the Nationals will will be pretty salty the the dodgers uh i mean they have Corey seager that's an awesome addition yeah they lost uh, yasiel puig bud black was went out of his way and was like man i'm glad yasiel puig's not in our division anymore i know he's like mistake prone at yeah. times but homeboy is 
dangerous. Great player. He he killed them like how many times last year? Like that right. home run in Los Los Angeles almost ended their season immediately yeah. in the moment. Yeah. I, it, it was incredible. It was rather like, again, things that we've already forgotten. It was incredible the Rockies bounced back from that sweep in, <laughs> in L.A. Because that, that home run stung, man. Yeah. Players in the locker room thought the season was over that night. Boom. I think everybody thought the season was over that night. It, it was, was a shocker that they got back. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a good – I mean – Scott Oberg threw an okay pitch. He yeah. should they shouldn't have been pitching to Puig at all, but he threw an okay pitch and Puig bombed it. Yeah, it was brutal. Yeah, it was a killer. It was a it was a gut punch. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, no, the rock. I I would take the over on. I would take 80, 85 wins is not a lot of wins. I would take the over on eighty four and a half. Okay, uh, that is uh from Nikki the Greek over there says yeah. take the over on the 84-and-a-half wins. Uh, what are you working on right now at the Athletic Denver? Phil, do you remember Phil Hartman's Jimmy the Greek? No. He was pretty good. And I am a funny. Phil Hartman connoisseur. Uh, Hot take. Phil Hartman is the greatest Saturday Night Live uh, actor of them all. Boom, period. Totally agree. Do you really? Oh, yeah, come on. It was like Sinatra and like, I mean, they're, I mean, you can list Unfrozen all caveman lawyer? <laughs> I who who would say other? I mean, what, what, who would? There's a lot of strong argument. Uh, Eddie Murphy is a very strong argument to be made. Belushi is a very strong argument to be made. Uh, Chris Farley, Will Ferrell. There, there's a lot of greats in the pantheon of that show. I think Amy Poehler should be in that conversation as well. But to me, Hartman is the all-time greatest. Uh, underrated TV show all time? News radio. News radio was, was excellent. Hilarious. Yeah. Hartman was great. Also, I mean, uh, Joe Rogan, Andy Dick, just a, yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot, lot, lot of actors that ended up being interesting Hollywood characters and yet a ton of great talents. Man, how old was I when news radio? That seems like forever ago. I think it was, you, you and I are roughly around the same age, around the time we were in high school. Yeah. Yeah, around the time that I was... Hitting a home run <laughs> on the short porch over at Grant. I was, you, you I was also watching news radio. You weren't sprinting because you thought you had a fly while you were sprinting to get home to watch news radio because <laughs> you didn't have a DVR. <laughs> it was like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta get, like, I'm gonna miss the show. Like, what, this like, ball game's gonna end tonight. Like, if you miss the show, you, you miss the show. You're you never gonna see it again. The show. Like, yeah. you're never, like, you're gonna go your whole life with never seeing news radio again. Is news radio, is that on, on any of the streaming <laughs> I services? I haven't seen it. It's a great show. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, Wait, what the hell were we talking about? Uh, oh, what am I working on? Yeah. Oh, uh, Bud Black. And some roster projections. I'm going to work on roster projections because I think it's pretty, weirdly, I think it's Is Rymel Tapia the fourth outfielder? Yeah, because he has no options. Okay. But he has a lot to prove, man. He sure does. Um, Mike Talkman making the making the club? No, sorry, Mike Talkman. But because he oh. has options. Okay. Uh, Mike Talkman, uh, who who did not uh, do especially well last year. Yeah. Uh, he, has, he, he did well in AAA his time in... In the majors was pretty not good. Changed his agent though. Yeah, Brendan Rodgers won't make the club out of spring training because they'll try and control his service clock, and he may not be ready for it anyway. Here's I don't I don't know if he's totally ready for it. Anymore. Okay, okay. Um, Tony Walters and Chris Sinetta will both make the club. Tom Murphy. Does Tom he Murphy options? might not. He has no options. Yeah. So like that's pretty interesting. Yeah. That uh, that truly is. Um. Th- that's a weird one that I I have no I I have no clue about. Right okay. Now. In the infield, obviously Nolan. Um. I think both Hampson and McMahon make the club. Daniel Has Murphy obviously makes a team. Trevor Stories. Pat Belay can make the team? No. No? Okay. Um, Charlie Blackman, David Dahl, Ian Desmond, Rymel Tapia, Noel Cuevas? No. No? You only have a, f- a four-man bench. Walters? Yeah. 
uh, you know, uh, whoever the whoever you consider the backup second base, the other second baseman, two, the other second baseman, Hampson McMahon, um, Tapia, yeah, and uh, Mark Reynolds. There's four. Oh, I left Mark Reynolds off the list yeah. because you I'm looking, looking last at the year. I'm yeah. looking at the forty man. Yeah, so that's he's f- not on the forty man minor league deal. Not yet. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I mean, I I think it's all but guaranteed that he will be. So that's four. Okay. Um, barring any injuries, obviously, and then and then uh, actually the bullpen is totally set because. Uh, Carlos Estevez has no options, so he's he's probably in the bullpen. Yeah, there's not a lot of mystery to go around. There's nothing. No. The uh, mystery is when does Nolan's deal get done? When does Neil, uh, Nolan's deal get done? I, I part of me thought it was going to be done by this by this point, to be honest. But I it'll uh, I think before the season or very soon after, kind of like okay. Charlie Blackman. Okay. If if it's going to be done, and and then because when you, if they k- start kicking the can down the road, then it's going to get really curious. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Athletic Denver Podcast. We did that thing again where we talked about baseball for way too long. Yeah, and we didn't even talk about Cavs legend Mark Price. <laughs> <laughs> Big part of my night was dedicated to Cavaliers he, legend Mark he was, Price. He was never an NBA jam, was he? Or was he? No. Yeah, it was Price and Doherty. That was the oh Cavs squad on the original NBA jam. See, that you should just that's how you should that's how you should reference him. Not four time all star Mark Price. NBA Jam superstar. NBA Jam's Mark Price. Along with uh what was it, Mike Isolino? Isn't that Hawkman's guy? You see, like that's funny. If somebody if somebody's like sending random videos to like Mark Ayuzioni, like, ah, <laughs> oh, you're my favorite player. Like that's funny. <laughs> but uh The the thing that Nick is uh referencing right now is one of my best friends that I grew up with, his all time favorite basketball player is Mark Price. And tonight at the Nugget Social event I saw Mark Price and Mark Price was very nice and he made a video and we sent it to my friend and my friend was more excited about it than a human being should be about anything. He has like he has like boxed like still like He's got the starting Never, lineup, Mark Price. He's got a throwback unopened, jersey. Unopened. Unopened. Like he's saving it for the resale value. <laughs> I, I still have a few unopened starting lineups in my collection. I have the 96 I've King Griffey Jr. in which he's uh, bunting. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. I remember. Uh, and I have a, I have a <laughs> speaking of, and this is his second mention in the podcast, I have an unopened Charlie Hayes Rockies starting lineup. No, you do not. Starting lineup. Why I, are you saving that? I kid you not. I don't know. I, I have no idea. I just it's still in the package. I bought it over at Bills and I never opened it. Uh, he he's he's among. Uh, I, I don't I don't mean this light in a light hearted way at all. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Hayes is among the best ever uh, African American third baseman. It's a weird. It's a position that like not a lot of Terry Pendleton. Charlie Hayes. It's it's un, it's unfor- it's a weird it's a weird unfortunate thing like I. I uh, it's it's kind of like not it's kind of like f- football and, and quarterbacks. I think there's a lot there's probably a lot of, um, kind of like, not not like exp- there's a lot of like implied racism and like how how players come up. Sure. Um, oh, you're athletic. Oh, you must be an outfielder. Or right. Whatever. Right. But um, in terms of African American third baseman, ooh yeah. I mean, I'm I'm scanning down the list. There just aren't many of them. No, it's, it's yeah, it's a weird. Um, I don't know. It's a weird quirk. It's a quirk. Yeah, but yeah, I but uh, so yeah. I mean, you got you got that going for you with your unopened <laughs> starting line. <laughs> I remember Charlie Hayes like vividly. I thought he was great. Yeah. Uh, According to something called Ranker, Terry Pendleton is listed as the 39th best third baseman of all time. Okay, that sounds about right. Uh, Bobby Bonilla listed as a third baseman. I don't no. remember Bonilla playing third base. 
No, this is uh, you're right. It's few and far between. But but, but honestly, why do, why do you have that? <laughs> why do you have that starting lineup? I don't know. I just do. All right, we're gonna end the podcast <laughs> on that note. Uh, don't forget, I hit a home run in high school. I'm Nate Crackman. He's Nick Groke of the Athletic Denver on Twitter at Nick Groke. Follow him right there. That'll do it. This has been the Athletic Denver podcast.